0: Gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live, I am your host, Joe Monax. So excited to have you with us, however you're taking in the podcast, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeart, so many different ways to get podcasts in this year of our Lord 2020, and you've chosen to check out this show with those wonderful tools at your disposal and that means the world to me and my co-host parker fleming who decides two weeks or so before the season starts to unplug and completely disappear so no parker fleming on this episode thanks a lot paca underscore flocka uh no i'm just kidding i'm glad parker's getting a chance to to recharge the batteries here we're about to be very busy over at grizzlybearblues.com and this is a good chance for him to catch his breath parker will be back next week Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow my co-host and associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Mr. Parker Fleming at paka underscore flaca as originally stated. You can follow the wonderful blog that he and I and our guest tonight or today, whenever you're listening to this, uh, that we all work for over at grizzlybearblues.com. You can follow that blog on Twitter, our blog at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow this wonderful show, if you don't already do so, at Live. and you can follow me if you want to. I'm a terrible Twitter follower, but or follow, excuse me. I'm a terrible follower too, but um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you may at Joe Mullinax. If you like hot takes about pancakes and waffles, if you're a fan of complaining about Grace and Allen possibly starting for a Memphis Grizzlies, those are the kinds of things that you can expect from the Molinax Twitter account uh, on a personal level. Uh, my guest tonight is a fantastic member of the GBB family. Uh, one of my favorite things about being the site manager over at grizzlybearblues.com, especially as long as I've done it now, is I've had a chance to work with a lot of talented people and, and a lot of hardworking people. And this guy is one of the best combinations of the two that I've had while well, I've worked at and been fortunate enough to lead uh, grizzly bear blues. Um, he's taken so many opportunities and made the most of them. A great example of that currently is he is now the host of the locked on grizzlies podcast. He does a phenomenal job over there, getting guests breaking down the grizzlies as only he can. Uh, one of the best compliments I can give a writer is that they have found their own voice and their own style, and they've really kind of made it their own and Sean Coleman at stats, SAC is a great example of that. I'm very fortunate to have him as my guest on this episode of GDB Live. Sean, how are you doing? It's been a while since we have chatted
1: like this. I noticed that you've had Parker on your
0: podcast a time or two, but no invites for me. What's up with that?
1: Well, you're, you'll be coming on for the season preview. We'll talk about that a little bit later on tonight. Oh, I, I how, liked, convenient. How, how convenient. How <laughs> convenient, hey, Sean hey, Coleman. Hey, hey. I I say all these nice things
0: about you and you don't bring me on your damn show.
1: (laughs) Well, hey, I will give you props though. And I, and I cannot thank you enough for all the kind words, but I will give you props. I think that when I'm hosting my podcast, I have to give a an introduction, that amount of memorization for an introduction to a podcast. while certainly awesome. It's impressive. Kudos to you, sir, uh, for, for the introduction, but thank you very much for the kind words. I I'm very fortunate to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: GBB Live is coming up on its 7 year anniversary, Sean. 7 years I've been doing this podcast. So, while I wish I could while I wish I could say that it's, you know, skill and, you know, wonderful timing on my part, it's just sheer dumb slamming my head against the wall and it and being ingrained in my in my uh, subconscious, so to speak. But anyway, I digress. It's wonderful to have you. Um I don't think we've spoken spoken. I know we've tweeted and messaged and that sort of thing. Uh, since you wrote that wonderful article leading up to the draft that you got so much praise for, where you essentially predicted the Memphis Grizzlies draft. Uh, You said that there were three players that it made a lot of sense for the Grizzlies to target, uh, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, and uh, Killian Tilly. Uh, Spoiler alert, those are the three of the four, uh, including the two-way for Tilly, that Memphis brought into the fold. So, you know, you've had a pretty good last month or two, Sean. Why don't you tell folks besides that, uh, and especially with Locked On taking over for Mark King, some of the things that you've been talking about lately, uh, both with the podcast and over at grizzlybearblues.com, if they haven't read their your work lately, which you definitely should. Because I can assure you, Chris Vernon reads Sean's work. Chris Harrington reads Sean's work. There's plenty of folks out there that you respect a lot in Grizzliesdom that check out Sean Coleman's stuff.
1: Well, um, and, and you know, like, like I tweeted out as well, the support that I get from you and Parker and the others at, at Grizzly Bear Blues, the opportunity that's there um, that y'all created and that y'all support, you know, my work through, I can't thank you enough for that. So, you know, that certainly is, you know, words can't describe how appreciative I am for that. Um, but yeah, over at the over at the blog, I just, you know, I, I really just enjoy looking at things from a statistical perspective and as me and you have discussed before, you know, that should be one part of the equation. You got to expand it out a little bit. So the development of me as a writer and as a podcaster, I've just, I've really enjoyed it, you know, since, you know, beginning with Grizzly Bear Blues and podcasting, but just, you know, in general, you know, I, I I took some time and and looked at, you know, here recently kind of how Taylor Jenkins is starting to mold the Grizzlies into the idea of what he thinks is going to be a successful roster, and there are many ways in which it compares to his predecessor, which is Mike Budenholzer, through the passing, through the shooting frequency, through the smart shot selection. So I did a three-part series over there calling "Following the Bud Blueprint," a lot of statistics to support to support the general theories. But the Grizzlies already reached their ability as a good passing team last year, and now you know, kind of going with those draft picks that I felt made sense. They've improve their depth when it comes to playmaking a big buzzword in Memphis and the shooting depth as well. So I've been, I wrote about that over at Grizzly bear blues over at the blog or or over at the uh, podcast. You know, I I've, I've certainly talked about, um, you know, all the different stuff going on in the off season, but also here this week and focusing on different things, looking at the hierarchy of each position, looking at areas in which the Grizzlies need to improve. So just really looking at some different perspectives that really are going to be critical for the Grizzlies as they start their season. Sean
0: Coleman, like I said, one of the hardest working guys out there right now, and I can respect that as someone who who has hustled for a little while. Not to you know toot my own horn, but I know how hard it is to be able to do the podcast right consistently, have a life outside of it. So, uh, kudos to you, Sean. Check out Sean on Twitter. He's one of the most underfollowed uh, Twitter Grizzlies folk, Grizzlies Twitter folks, excuse me, out there at Stats SAC. Can't stress enough you're going to be smarter for it you're going to be better for it I've had a good fortune of getting to meet Sean in person uh, he was the MVP of our draft party in 2019 the way that he handled the the giveaways we did I can't say enough nice things about Sean Coleman and they're all true fortunately for him um so let's get right into it now Sean now that I've heaped all this praise on you and you've you know been forced to welcome me on the locked on here in the next week or two um it's a situation when you look at the Memphis Grizzlies roster and we've talked about it a lot. We're starting to do our player previews over at GBB. i wrote earlier this week about Desmond Bain and uh TCU community got a hand, hang on that one and a hold on that one and, and took it for a ride, which I appreciated on Twitter. Um, I look at this group and you start to see the videos coming out of practice. Obviously the first preseason games start this weekend for Memphis and uh, Minnesota on Saturday night. And I can't, with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Justice Winslow out, you know, there's lots of different ways that Coach Jenkins can go. You mentioned the depth, and I do think that there's not necessarily a wrong answer to start. I think that there's preferences, and you know, a lot of the things, whether it's the Grind City Media account and the Grind City Media folks like Mike Wallace, who's been on our show before, uh, and others. the The rumors of Grayson Allen being that guy. You know, and again, the forward stuff, it's probably going to be Brandon Clark. Kyle Anderson could make sense. I think they'll experiment a little bit in the preseason. But more and more, you're hearing rumbles that it's Grayson Allen. That's going to be that starter on the wing next to Dylan Brooks. And I got to tell you, Sean, I'm not in love with that idea. And part of the reason for that, you'll be proud of me, is in my Desmond Bain manifesto that I wrote, uh, I used some statistical data, some two-man lineup on off-court plus-minus stuff. And Grayson Allen is not favorable in any of those uh, in the, any of those numbers. De'Anthony Melton is a numbers darling, as I know you know. And Desmond Bain in college was an analytics darling as well, which is one of the reasons so many folks liked the pick for Memphis. Maybe it was small sample size. Maybe it's the the nine games in the bubble where it looks like Grayson took a massive leap. But I'm I'm hesitant to say that I'm excited about Grayson Allen as opposed to De'Anthony Melton, or as opposed to even Desmond Bain, because I'm looking at this roster and I don't see Grayson Allen bringing that versatility, especially as a defender, that I thought that and still believe that Taylor Jenkins prioritizes. Grayson Allen is a solid offensive player, obviously. He can facilitate some. He's played the point a little bit here and there. Uh, he's obviously a nice shooter, especially in open gyms in Orlando when nobody's sitting there. Uh, but I guess the nine-game sample size of the bubble, he did well. But did he really do well enough to be that guy to start next to Ja Morant in the backcourt? Uh, you paid Anthony Melton. You draft Desmond Bain, who everybody lauds as this versatile player who can do so many things on both ends of the floor. And again, it's early in training camp. We haven't even seen a preseason game yet, so it's very possible that this is all for naught. I mean, John Conchar was in the same color jersey on twitter film and, and on these video clips so is john Conchar in the mix to be a starter that would be even more surprising than alan um i guess i i was excited to find out who might be in that mix sean and i was a little bit let down when i found out it was grace and alan uh, do you agree with that concept and thought process or are you of the mind that you think you can convince me that i should be excited
1: well, I don't necessarily – I think the best answer for me to give to that is I don't really think that there's a way to get you excited because I agree with you. In terms of the overall value added, I think that Melton probably makes the most sense, but I'm not surprised that Grayson Allen actually is getting run as a starter for a few reasons. You know, you saw last year, obviously, you know, Grayson Allen was out with an injury. And obviously Taylor Jenkins knows his roster upside and down, but he didn't get the chance to see in his first year as a coach a lot of Grayson Allen in an expanded role. Um, you know, when he was out with the injury in late January. And when he did get to see him, the one thing that Grayson Allen stood out in doing is that he shot well. And that's what Taylor Jenkins really Prioritizes on offense you know that's the reason why when jaron jackson jr went down with the knee injury in the bubble anthony tolliver became the starter because he had the closest ability theoretically to be that outside option shooting from the four spot even though you could have started you know potentially kyle anderson at the four or brandon clark at the four so on and so forth but with Grayson Allen's shooting um, you know, performance in the bubble, I don't necessarily think that's what may give him an edge. But I think what it is is that the Grizzlies know they're going to have to make up for Jaron Jackson's shooting. And it's not just the shooting in terms of hitting the threes, it's the volume. And so you know what you have between Kyle Anderson and, and hopefully they start Clark at the four, but if they start Clark at the four, for instance, you've got Clark Valanciunas and John ja Morant who are going to produce in the paint and finish at the rim. Well, now with Allen and, and Dylan Brooks, I think they're the most trustworthy options to be out there as catch and shoot options to hit the three. And I think that that may be where, um, Taylor Jenkins is focusing is the consistency of the offense, theoretically, with Allen and Brooks being potentially his best shooters. So I think it comes down to shooting, though that may be flawed. I think that right now, Grayson Allen probably has the best helium when it comes to his ability to shoot. And that's why they're looking to see what he could do with the starting lineup.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I I guess I see your perspective there. And I guess my issue with that, and maybe part of it, Sean, and you can maybe be my therapist here, my Grizzlies therapist for a moment, whenever, because you're exactly right about Taylor Jenkins. He obviously prioritizes those guys that are able to space the floor. Theoretically speaking, that makes a ton of sense. John Morant, like you said, Jonas Valanciunas, uh, Brandon Clark, they all thrive in and around the rim. You're exactly right. I watched Taylor Jenkins, and I respect him as a coach. I think he deserved the Coach of the Year votes. I think he's the right hire for Memphis. The organization's going in the right direction. I watched that man start Jay Crowder, okay? And I'm going to try to not go off on a tangent because I've done it several times on this podcast. And shockingly, people still listen and subscribe, okay? Thank you for that, by the way, everyone that's listening. This man started Jay Crowder, who shot 29.3% from three on a larger volume than Dylan Brooks, Sean. If Dylan Brooks had done the exact same thing, people would have tried to burn Dylan Brooks in effigy. They would have tried to crucify him. They would have done all of these terrible, horrible things that never should have occurred because people like to hate on Dylan Brooks. But Jay Crowder did worse. Crowder did worse. And yet, Jay Crowder got the start, even though, in my opinion, he was an inferior basketball player to Kyle Anderson and an inferior basketball player to Solomon Hill in some ways. Now, maybe that's going a little too far. Maybe I'm showing my Jay Crowder disdain to an extent, but I guess this idea of gravity you hear Parker and these young basketball fans, and I say young, I'm only 33, but we're old and bloggered them. People talk about shooter gravity, and it's like they're trying to explain away the fact that dudes shoot 29% from three and how that's still valuable. Grayson Allen is obviously not Jay Crowder, and I'm not trying to say that. Grayson is a better three point shooter than Jay. Uh, But at the same time, I I wonder if we're prioritizing that more than, say, defensive acumen, and especially in the case of Bain, because Bain has shown the capacity to theoretically be able to be both. Melton has struggled from three, so your logic makes sense there, but Bain can be both. He showed defensive play in the Big 12. He showed the capacity, obviously, to shoot the three at an extremely elite clip, over 43% from range for his career at TCU, which is remarkable. Um, So if you're taking the shooting aspect into it, and I do think they'll start Brandon Clark, I would start Kyle Anderson, but again, they'll do the opposite of what I think they should do. So they'll start Brandon Clark, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Clark is a very good player. He's earned another opportunity to show what he can do in that role. You need a shooter there. Do you think Bain has a chance to eventually supplant Grayson Allen, like maybe I was talking with somebody on Twitter and they said, you know, Bane's being integrated into the scheme. They didn't have a full like rookie camp. They didn't have summer league. And that made sense to me. You have to take a little more time with these young guys because they haven't had as much access to the playbook and the players and the coaches that they would have had in a normal year because of the pandemic. So do you think that the fact that Grayson Allen has been around pay is a major advantage for him ahead of somebody like Bain who again, I know he was a 30th pick. I know he fell. People like to say that, well, how many 30th picks come in and impact that way? I I mean, watch his tape. You know, I did a deep dive into his film. He's an impressive player. I think he can compete to be a starter right now. That's what I wrote about. But maybe the fact that he's so new is hurting him in terms of that competitiveness early on as well.
1: And I agree. And and I think that though some may make a bit too much of this, you know, this isn't a normal offseason in, in which you haven't had a summer league. You haven't had a training camp. And and that's something that, you know, you did see with Grayson Allen when he came back from his injury and then they did have that training camp in the bubble. You know, we were all getting excited. If you remember, Joe, from the scrimmage of seeing what potentially Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton were showing on their catch and shoot opportunities right. in the scrimmages against Miami. That was really, really intriguing. And then it wound up being great who filled that role. So I think, again, I don't put too much on the bubble, but I do think that has something to do with it. The fact that though Grayson hasn't been on the court, he has been in the system for a year, but I do agree with you. I would start Bain. If, 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 in my opinion, though I do understand why the Grizzlies don't do it, I do think that Bain offers the most potential. And let's put it this way. He truly is, you know, though they, tar- they probably targeted Grayson in the Mike Conley trade, Bain is someone that they traded up to get before Taylor Jenkins in this front office his second year he's a preference for this style of play that Taylor Jenkins wants to implement and I do think that he offers more two-way overall potential ceiling as a shooter and a defender and I think among this group even maybe even better than Dylan in time I do think in terms of getting his own shot that's an added caveat as well you know with his ability to do the step back and know how to use his size so I think that Bain is long term probably what makes the most sense next to Dylan. Are we going to get enough time to truly see that? I don't know. But I support your idea of starting Bane. I think that what he could be, if he could do it quickly, I think he should earn that starting role. He gives you the most upside.
0: Yeah, again, you're, you're probably right, Sean. And you explained it very well. It's, it's just like it's Christmas time and you open up a Christmas present, you're expecting a PS5, and it's like a year's supply of socks or something like that. It's a year's, <laughs> it's a year's supply of socks. It's Grayson Allen. And maybe I'm being too hard on Grayson Allen. I just don't get excited watching Grayson Allen the way that I get excited watching Desmond Bain. I see him creating the pick and roll. I see him like that Malcolm Brogdon type of player. And that excites me because I think that's a perfect fit, especially as a shooter next to jaw, who can also be that secondary facilitator. And I I think you're onto something. I don't necessarily disagree with you. Uh, And I I do want to reiterate, even though I have an opinion on it, I don't know that there's a wrong answer. Right. Because all of the answers are flawed. With Jaron Jackson out, with Justice Winslow out, there is no perfect response. Right. And, and if you assume that Justice Winslow starts at the three, as I do, and if you assume, obviously, that Jaron starts at the four, you're essentially replacing two starting spots and you need to do the best you can, right? So I do think there's something to that, and maybe Grayson's that guy. He's definitely a better shooter than Melton, and if you're going with experience, Allen makes sense there. We're talking with Sean Coleman, uh, one of the great writers for us over at grizzlybearblues.com. He's also the host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast, does a phenomenal job with that as well. Make sure you're following Sean on Twitter, if you don't already do so, at StatsAC. Excuse me. Uh, Sean, before we go to break, I'm curious – When you look at these media sessions that you're in there now with us and we're talking to these players and you're listening to them talk about, you know, the growth that guys are making as leaders or the skill sets, Brandon Clark working on being a ball handler and a shooter, which would be awesome if it actually came to fruition. As you see these players, you listen to Coach Jenkins How much do you think in year two of this rebuild, and I'm putting rebuild in air quotes because they were almost a playoff team last year, but they are still technically in a rebuilding process. Uh, Their two best players are 21 years old. When you think about that and you listen to the way these guys are talking, the fact that the Grizzlies in free agency decided to double down on what they're building, bringing back Jonte Porter, who we'll talk more about in the next segment, bringing in Achille and Tilly and guys that fit their mold in terms of standard. Resigning John Conchar and D'Anthony Melton. Do you think that this team as constructed is capable of taking that next step into being a full-blown playoff contender? Are they still a year away? Uh, this is kind of a broad question, but I guess in the, in the spectrum of the interviews that we hear from them, how much growth do you expect to see from year one to year two, especially considering
1: the fact that especially Jaron is going to be out a while? I think that, in terms of the wins, you may see, you know, potentially them getting possibly around the same, maybe even a little bit less. Um, I think that they do take a step forward because the one thing I'll say about this Grizzlies team that impresses me from John Morant to Dylan Brooks, to Brandon Clark, the maturity in terms of their focus in knowing just how valuable hard work is, the excitement that they put in that hard work and the desire that they have to put in that hard work, I think that that certainly allows for them to improve. But like you put so eloquently before, I think the situation that you're going to find with the Grizzlies here, I don't know if the outside factors that were so much in their favor last year really will be in their favor this year. It could be, but it's hard to put that bet on. I think you see clear progression. And I think that the one thing that we have have noticed from those media sessions, there's been a lot of emphasis put on -on one-on-one type stuff, individual improvements, the handling of Dylan. Brooks and Brandon Clark, one on one defense, a lot of individual improvements. So, yes, I do think you will see a progression up and down the roster. Maybe not so much to the extent that it was last year because you now have a very good floor to work with. I think there's progression, but in general, I do think that. Their schedule is only going to get harder as the first half goes along. So even though the first part of the schedule is manageable, they're without two critical components in Justice and Jaren. I think it's going to be a harder uphill battle than people may be giving it credit for right now to really emerge as a playoff contender this year. I do think there will be progression, but I'm not necessarily convinced we're going to run into the Grizzlies being a true playoff contender this year. I still think they're a year away. And it's important to
0: understand that you can still have progression and take those steps back record-wise. Golden State's back in the picture. Phoenix brought in Chris Paul, for God's sake. Like Those are two teams that Memphis was in front of last year that are pretty clearly in front of Memphis right now going into the season. Um, You can talk about Houston maybe taking a step back, especially once they trade Harden. Everybody assumes he'll be gone. Uh, Oklahoma City's almost certainly going to take a step back given all the moves that they've made. Uh, but if Phoenix and Golden State leapfrog, that puts you right in that 9-10 conversation again. And obviously they they could have a play-in shot, but it's just going to be tough. And you could still be better even if your record is worse. It's important to keep that perspective. When we come back, we'll continue with Sean Coleman. We're going to talk about the front court a little bit going into the preseason games that start this weekend. And we're going to get them out of here on our question of the day. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. Parker Fleming is MIA this week. He's off the grid somewhere, uh, enjoying time away before the season gets started. I'm envious of him. He's very smart to do such a thing. I'm also envious of our guest, this evening, Mr. Sean Coleman at Stats SAC on Twitter. He's the host of the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast. He's an excellent writer for us as G- at GBB as well. He's another great example of GBBers going out and branching out and taking advantage of the platform that Grizzly Bear Blues provides. And Sean, once again, I'm excited to have you with me uh, in the front court. Right. You've got obviously Jonas Valanciunas in the previous segment. We talked about Jaron being hurt, Brandon Clark being the most likely candidate to be a starter there instead of Kyle Anderson. Um, Then you have, again, an interesting conversation. I wrote a player preview about Jonte Porter, who, fun fact, is younger than Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson, Jr., uh, even though he's been out of basketball for two years, he reclassified and was essentially a high school senior playing in the SEC at Missouri with his brother, Michael, uh, and, and who's now at the Denver uh, Nuggets, of course. And the fact that Jonte is a player that checks a lot of the Grizzly standard boxes is intriguing. You have Killian Tilly who signed that two-way deal, but two-way players are likely to be more important this year than they've ever been before. And then, of course, you have Xavier Tillman, who they drafted in the second round. They traded up to get him. They love his skill set as a passer and as a defender. He looks the part of a Draymond Green-esque kind of impact player in terms of his height of his ceiling. So they have a lot of young bigs behind Jonas and Brandon and Jaren, of course, once he returns. And then you have Gorgie Dang hanging out there, who's the highest-paid grizzly this year, fun fact the highest paid player on the team, you can make a very relevant argument. Shouldn't even play a single minute because they have so many young, young bigs behind him. So whether it's John T. Porter, whether it's Tilly on that two way, whether it's Tillman who's jumps out at you as, and I, I use this term loosely because they're going to miss Jaron a lot, but who's going to benefit most from Jaron Jackson Jr. being out about a month here. Uh, it could be Kyle Anderson in theory, if he plays more at the four, but is it Tilly? Is it Tillman? Is it Porter? Obviously, they value Porter because they re-signed him, even though he hasn't played a minute yet. There's lots of controlled bets that they've placed. I'm wondering, do you
1: think any of them are going to hit this year, or is it one of those cases where they're just going to tread water until Jaron comes back? Well, I really think that the one that will probably hit in terms of getting the run – that you, know, you may not expect, because I think a lot of people have Tillman in front of Porter right now. But I think that Porter's combination of a playmaking big, plus having a good shooting touch, that really is the, is the two-way versatility um, in terms of offensive value that I think that you like. So I think that Porter may get the most change, may get the most unexpected change in his role as being in the rotation, maybe as that fourth or fifth big, because I agree with you, I really would not give Dang any run. You know what he can do. You, I think this is, Still, a year you want to go with the youth. But, Joe, as me and you have talked about, the thing that stood out to me in the bubble the most, it's not that significant, but it just shows how committed Taylor Jenkins is to his preference to have shooters on the court at all times, ideally from all five positions. When he started Tolliver over Clark and others, I think that that is why I'm so excited about Killian Tilly because he is arguably the best shooting big man. And he has one of the best shooting, he has one of the best shooting pedigrees for a big man we've seen in a while, come out of college. And so I think that he is someone that can certainly do it. And, The reason why he's on a two-way contract is not because of talent. It's because of injuries. So I don't necessarily know if depth will allow for him to have the run to really emerge. But I think that he is someone who eventually is going to work his way into the rotation simply because of his ability to shoot. So the person I'm most excited about is Tilly, and I hope he gets a chance. But I think Porter is probably the person who you will see get the biggest improvement in rotation with Jaron and Justice being out. Tilly is so interesting because he's a lottery
0: talent. If he's healthy, like he's somebody that's nowhere near undrafted if, if he shows that he's able to stay on the floor, but of course he hasn't been able to do that. And when you're in a small market like Memphis, you have to take those gambles, right? You have to take those calculated risks. Jonte Porter has remarkable talent. Tilly has remarkable talent, but these are two guys that have have injury concerns. So they play small calculated wagers. If the guys flake out and it doesn't work, it doesn't really cost Memphis much of anything at all. If, if it does work out, you have guys under team control, in the case of Porter, for multiple years at very cheap contracts. In the case of Tilly, they can bring him back as a free agent next year to replace Gorgi Dang if he takes off. And I think McDermott's the only one that signed a multi-year two-way contract. I'm pretty sure Tilly's is just for one year. So if he performs at the level that we assume that he's capable of playing, then he's somebody that could really benefit from being in the organization and take that next step like Conchar did from a two-way contract to a full roster player in one season. I'm curious as to your take on Brandon Clark, because we mentioned the debate between Kyle Anderson and Clark, and somebody's listening to this saying, what the hell is he talking about? That doesn't make any sense. I know he loves Kyle Anderson, clearly, but Brandon Clark is obviously superior to Kyle Anderson, and that is true. I'm not disputing that, but the, the games that Clark started, and I know it was only four games and two of them he dropped because of injury, so it's an extremely small sample size. He just looked like a fish out of water as a starter, Sean. And it really shakes me to think of that because I I believe in what Brandon Clark can be. I've said this on the podcast. I've said it on the blog and on Twitter. I've had enough national media DM me or text me, talk to me about Brandon Clark when I put a take out there that he shouldn't be untouchable in a trade, saying you might want to rethink that. I think he's untouchable. To think that he's untouchable. You know what I mean? Like he's that third building block in this thing moving forward. I'm just not so sure he's going to be a starter. In that role. And that's okay. You can be a better Montrez Harrell, which I think is realistic for Clark, and have obviously a very successful career. Look at Harrell and the work he's done. And I could see that being something, but even better for Brandon. I worry about him as a starter. Do you think that that's misguided? Obviously, if they start Grayson Allen or any shooter there, that should help Brandon some. I just worry that Brandon is so dependent on others offensively that if he doesn't have a creator like Bain, if he doesn't have consistent three-point shooting, as we saw in the bubble, it renders him far less useful than if he is coming off of the bench where he's just able to dominate people because of his athleticism, his elite rim running, and and, uh, driving to the basket even the floaters that he's able to do so much of his offensive game is predicated on others being able to create for him. That's not as easy to do against longer, more athletic bigs that he sees that are starters as
1: opposed to reserves. And I agree completely. He is so efficient when you keep it simple and allow for him to play to his strengths and also knowing how to use his athleticism and that quick first step that a lot of those second units don't have an answer for. But I agree with you. A fish out of water is the best way to describe it. And as Nathan Chester over at GBB wrote a wonderful article um, you know, the other day talking about what really will unleash that untapped potential, Brandon Clark talked about it as well. It's the ball handling. And that's what's going to make the difference between him being so reliable on other creators and him creating itself. You know, I, I think it's fair to question whether he's going to be able to do that, especially with the is where he is age wise. But I think that, you know, it's fair to question that. But I think the Grizzlies are going to be doing themselves a disservice if they don't give him every chance to find that out right now because you need that type of untapped potential to really emerge for, I think, for you to be able to be okay without Justice and Jaren. And also the big thing for me, Joe, when it comes to Brandon Clark is if he struggles initially in the starting lineup in the first few games, can he figure it out? Can he struggle and then overcome it and figure out how to make himself valuable? Being a good movement off the ball guy for catch and shoot options if he can't create for himself, being a better passer and playmaker to set up other options as well. Can he figure out how to add that value, I think the Grizzlies need to give him a long leash to allow for him to be able to figure it out. This is a great opportunity to see what he can do in the starting role. I think that they would do himself a disservice. Even if you question that he may be a long-term starter, prove it to yourselves by giving him run with the starting five.
0: And of course, that long-term starter question also ties into whether or not you think Jaron can be a 5 long-term. I was a lot more confident in him eventually transitioning to a Jonas Valanciunas replacement and Brandon becoming a 4. I was more confident in that a year ago than I am now, and that's no disrespect to Jaron. I just think his game is so perimeter-based and he's so damn good at it that you would almost be foolish to uh, to ask him to be nearer to the rim. So obviously you can invert that. Parker would be yelling at me about position as basketball at this point in the podcast. So there's lots of ways that you can work with that, and Taylor Jenkins has options. It will be interesting to see starting on Saturday with that first preseason game. Clark says he's worked on his shooting and his ball handling. It would be really good if he could display that some in live action. Again, preseason is unique in that it's accelerated this year. I asked Tyus Jones this week and a media availability about that. And he said they probably will be a little more locked in than normal because of the, uh, the hyped-up pace of this preseason. We're finishing up here with Sean Coleman, of course, a wonderful writer for us over at grizzlybearblues.com, but he's also the host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. If you don't follow him already on Twitter, make sure you're following him at StatsSAC. Sean, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, our question of the day, this might be one of the best ones I've ever done, and I don't know if you've looked at these results yet, Um, We still have about, as we record this, about 20 minutes left. We have over 160 votes. The question of the day, speaking of Brandon Clark, which of these non-Jaw Morant players, because jaw is obvious, uh, is most important in your opinion to Memphis being able to remain competitive with Jaron Jackson Jr. out? I had Brandon Clark as an option. I had Dylan Brooks, and I had Jonas Valanciunas, and then other was the other one. Uh, Listen to these splits here, Sean. Other only got 2% of the vote out of 100, over 160 votes, thanks to everybody that voted. Brandon Clark came in third with 31%. Jonas Valanciunas came in second with 33%. And Dylan Brooks is currently in first with 34%. That could still flip. So it's almost a complete three-way split between Dylan, Jonas, and Brandon. So I take two things away from that, from the, the pulse of Grizz Nation, so to speak. They're going to have to do it by committee. Because you can't simply replace a unicorn. I think we can both agree with that. And then to me, Dylan is the correct answer because he is the one guy of all of those guys that can create his own shot. Now, you may not like where he takes that shot. and <laughs> You may not like the amount of defenders that are around him when he takes that shot. But he has the capacity to do it. Jonas, with his back to the basket, can do it. He's a good security blanket when the offense struggles, but that's not what Taylor Jenkins wants to do, as we've talked about throughout the show. Brandon Clark, we just mentioned, he's very dependent on others for his shot, at least at this time. Maybe he shows he can be a spot-up shooter. He can shoot off the dribble. Maybe he is better with his dribble penetration against uh, bigs that can't stay in front of him. These are all things that we'll see over the next few weeks. We know that Dylan Brooks can create his own shot, we know that he can get hot as a three-point shooter in particular, but offensively he can take over games, even if it's for brief stretches of time. And with a star like Jaron Jackson Jr. out, that to me is what's going to be most valuable. So I do think it's fair to hypothesize that it's going to take everyone. And Parker wrote about the strength and numbers concept earlier this week, and I think he's right about that. But at the same time, when, when push comes to shove and Jaw is being double teamed by somebody, Dylan's going to have to make a shot and he's going to have to be able to create it. We know he has the skill set. The hope is that the damn thing actually goes in the basket.
1: I 100% agree. It's Dylan Brooks. And the way that I look at it is this, is I talked about it on my podcast yesterday, areas where the Grizzlies needed to improve to really take that next step as a true playoff contender to where they don't need that external help like they had last year. And the three areas, Joe, were this. It was shooting the three, it was defending the three, and it was limiting errors. You know the strengths of this team. It's the production and the paint on offense, defending the paint on defense. Brandon Clark and Jonas Valanciunas, we know what they can do. They contribute in that area, and that really boosts this team to have, you know, a higher four than expected on both ends. But when it comes to shooting the three and defending the three, you are now without probably your best options in both of those areas. Jaron is your best shooter. Well, who's going to step up for him? The guy who was next in volume in Dylan Brooks. Justice Winslow is your best option to guard the opposing team's best shooting wing. Who's the guy who's going to step in to do that? It's Dylan Brooks because he's the one who has the size and the aggressiveness to be able to do it. But the big thing for me is limiting the errors. You don't want Dylan to change his aggressiveness, but you do want him to stop committing the errors. He was first in the league in fouls last year, along with Jaron being second. And so that's really where the Grizzlies have got to improve. I think they were bottom third in the league in terms of, you know, they they allowed the sixth highest amount of opposing three-throw attempts. And they also had the six most turnovers committed per game, you know, last season. So Dylan's ability to stop, you know, making so many errors is another big area. And the big thing, like you said, he can create his own shot, but he's got to know when to not take the shot and when to pass. Despite the errors of fouling and committing turnovers, like we saw in the bubble, you've got those extra five to seven instances where he just takes a bad shot and that's just as bad as a turnover. So when it comes to shooting the three, defending the three and limiting errors, I think improvement from Dylan is what's going to make the Grizzlies improve in those areas as a whole. That's why I think he is is the best answer here because his improvement is what I think is going to have the biggest impact on the Grizzlies being able to overcome the absence of Justice and Jaron to start the season. What makes Dylan Brooks great, and people struggle with this, what made him the
0: Pac-12 player of the year, what made him a NBA player who's now making over $30 million after being a second-round pick, is his unconquered confidence in himself. Right, that, that is what makes him what he is, is he believes in himself no matter how hot he is, no matter how cold he is playing. He believes he's going to be able to get the job done. That's a double-edged sword, of course. And I do think the next evolution, the next step, for Dylan is going to be that understanding and that ability to accept what he needs to be moving forward for this team, especially with Jared now. Cause you're exactly right. He needs to be all three of those things. He needs to be able to be that volume shooter. He's be able to defend the three more effectively. He needs to be able to limit and understand his mistakes more efficiently. And he's able to do that. That's going to make this Memphis Grizzlies team capable of treading water effectively enough until Jaron Jackson returns and Justice Winslow debuts, and you have your chance to finally see what the team is supposed to look like in the eyes of Zach Klein and Taylor Jenkins in the whole front office. Sean, this has been a wonderful opportunity to catch up with you. This time flew by. I really enjoy everything you do. You already know that. I appreciate you, and we'll definitely have you back on down the road. And hopefully you know I'm just picking up from your predecessor, Mark King, I would give him a hard time about not coming on locked on Grizzlies enough. I'm just passing the buck to you. Hopefully you understand.
1: Hey, I'll gladly accept it. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Joe. It was an absolute pleasure, and we'll talk to you soon. You'll be on the show before the season starts. I promise you that. Thank you very much, Joe. Sean
0: Coleman at stats, SAC, make sure you're following him. Make sure you're checking out his work over at GBB. And of course his work with locked on Grizzlies for Sean Parker will be back next week. I'm Joe Molinax fortunate enough to be the site manager of grizzly bear blues.com. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at SBN grizzlies at GBB live at Joe Molinax is me. Make sure that you are checking out all our great podcasts, starting five core four, three and D Subscribe on Stitcher, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeart. However you get your podcasts, you can find the GBB Podcast Network. So thank you again, Sean. I appreciate all of you that are listening and making GBB a part of your Grizzlies fan experience. Until next time, grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blue's Live.